What is going on, Rotogrinders? This is Dean filling in once again for Stevie. He's still uh, on his little siesta. He's uh, knocking out the uh, the NASCAR coverage, the Counter-Strike and things of that sort. He'll be back soon enough, but I am filling in here at the morning grind once again. Uh, and, you know, again, with the absence of a lot of sports going down, we are just having a lot of DFS personality conversations. And without further ado, let's bring in our contestant today. It's one, uh, it's Ricky Sanders from Daily Roto. Ricky, what's going on, dude? Nothing. The same thing that's been going on every single day since this started. I'm sitting behind my computer talking to other DFS friends. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, you mentioned that. And it's funny because I've done like four or five, six these already. And you're the first person I, I don't really know. Like I'm aware of your existence. I know you from Twitter. Uh, I, I've slipped in your DMs probably once or twice. Casual conversation strictly. But I don't know. I don't know a lot about you outside of a you know for a little pre-show uh, preparation. I did like a, a deep dive in your Twitter, but uh, I'm happy to learn about you. Yeah, you're probably the only one, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> how, how is uh, how is quarantine life? I, I know a lot of your tweets were quarantine related, so uh, we're holding up all right. I think you're in the Chicago area. Is that correct? I am in the Chicago area, and there has been a little bit of excitement in the fact that I live in an apartment building and my brother just moved in this week, so at least there's been something different. But otherwise, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of the DFS peoples have had the same experience that I work from home as is, so like Mm -hmm. of the people who have been affected, mine has been minor compared to others. So I kind of feel for others, but for me, my routine really hasn't changed too much other than like you can't see too many friends in person. Except for the fact that now you're like a KBO expert. Okay, <laughs> so for that, from that perspective, yes. Uh, if you would have told me a year ago that I would ever turn on a KBO game, let alone be playing daily fantasy hardcore every day, I would not have believed you. And now I can tell you like half the names in the league. So it, that has been a shocking turn of events. That's, that's the M. Night Shyamalan, you know, of my life. To be fair, you can just say like four names and you get like half the league covered, you know, I suppose <laughs> I mean, you can do it that way. Um, and and yeah. so I'm curious, are you waking up uh, like at four thirty, five o'clock? Are you staying all the way up until uh, how does that affect your, your your schedule as far as making KBO lineups? Because I know you're making KBO lineups because I saw you baked a 50K the other night. Congratulations on that. Yes, thank you. And I've always been more uh, tilted towards the single entry and three max and, and those sort of things. For football, I have picked up the MME and, you know, occasional baseball nights if I feel like it. I will do it. But for KBO, like I don't want to wake up for me at central time. Most of these games start at four 30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not doing mass multi-entry. So I've been waking up about a half hour before games just to make sure the guys in my single entry and, you know, three max are still in the lineup. And there's been a bunch of nights where I haven't been able to go to sleep. So we'll talk about like how I got started in daily fantasy. I was doing a, a job where I was working at the ass crack of dawn. And so I would work go to bed and like have a second day. And I'm basically just back to that schedule where if I get, you know, if I pick up a Twitch stream and I get, you know, so watching games, all of a sudden it's 7 a.m. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm not going back to sleep for a while. (laughs) So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned your jobs because one of the tweets I was talking about, one of the tweets I kind of like wanted to talk about was uh, the five jobs you previously had. And I'm guessing the ass crack job was one of those sales associate jobs. Is that correct? Yeah. um, So... Out of college, I was working, selling basically sports tickets and hospitality packages. Did not like it. It was basically like a job where you had to make 100 phone calls a day. And I quit it. Yeah, I I really could not stand like being, having people listening into my phone calls all the time and see what I was doing. So I was in between jobs and it just so happened the family business at the time was tortillas. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mission Tortillas, like Mission Tortilla Chips, Mission Dip. I think I use them for wraps. Is that uh, the same the same company? That's, yes, Mission Wraps, exactly. So the way that worked was you own a territory and any territory in, you know, any grocery store in that territory you, you would deliver to. And so my dad owned like a portion of the suburbs and I needed a job. So he's like, well, you could learn the business. And, you know, once you do that, you could end up potentially managing this route. So I decided after, you know, doing phone calls that that I was going to deliver mission tortillas at 4.30 in the morning, become a delivery driver, learn how that works so I could be, you know, the business guy behind it. And as I was doing that, I realized it was boring as hell also. So (laughs) I started to turn on Sirius XM Fantasy at like five in the morning and just listen to it throughout. And it just so happened probably a year into it. uh, I don't know if you remember the show Going Nine Baseball. 
I don't, yeah, I didn't have a series until not too recently, but uh, I was so, thinking like Fantastics was like, was like an early series show. But yes, I, I used to listen to that too, if I ever had to be up on a Sunday, but it was like Dan Strafford, Joe Pisapia. It was like their first show okay. uh, on Sirius. And they, one Saturday morning said they were looking for writers. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I've been listening to this forever. I've always thought I could do it. Like, I'm going to give it a shot. And I sent my resume. I was a sport management major in college. And just so happened, they said, okay, you're going to do an NL only segment, you know, every week. And that was how I got started. And it kind of just went from there, strangely enough, during my tortilla route, which by the way, became of nothing. My dad ended up selling it. Well, there, there you go. But <laughs> I'm glad they're still making them though. They're pretty good. I, I buy the mission every once in a while. I'm a sucker for the wraps. Yeah, well, I had a bad manager uh, during that time. There was like a, a regional manager who would go to your stores and like see how you've done and would always bitch about us. So like yeah. I left a bad taste in my mouth. So I'll try and buy other things but Mission, but they're they're really good to be fair. Well, let's uh, let's walk it back for a minute. Growing up, you grew up in Chicago as well, or did you grow up in Indiana? No, the suburbs of Chicago. Okay, so born and raised basically. You went to Indiana College, is that correct? I mean, I was yes. on your. Uh, I, I, I was stalking you on the internet today. <laughs> I, I don't have to fully prepare for this uh, for this conversation. Uh, yes. Why Indiana? Why are we going to Indiana? Uh, so I wanted. I was a sport management guy. Knew I was going to be a sport management guy. Thought I was going to be covering sports. You know, at like I was going to be a journalist, right? I was going to be work for the school newspaper. I was going to cover the made sports, and so I wanted to go somewhere that had good athletic programs. And basically the good athletic programs across the nation that had great journalism schools, uh, I got rejected. So it was Indiana by default. I actually, it was my fault. I didn't finish my, uh, it was the, you know, the whole, uh, what do you call it? Whatever it was, the, your, your application to get into Florida. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word, but I didn't finish it. And so it was my fault. That was where I really wanted to go. But I got an email like after it closed saying like, you actually never completed this. And I thought I did. You want to be a Gator? I did. I yeah. did. That was that was my number one priority. I was going to go visit as soon as I got in, and I got a letter like, look, you never completed this application. I remember that they, they cost like a couple hundred bucks, if I recall correctly, as far as the application. So maybe that, that's what it was. I personally just applied to one school, I remember. Hey, UCF. I'm wearing a rock in the hat. I'm like, there you go. Oh, there you but, go. Uh, <laughs> uh, this isn't about me. Why am I talking about UCF? We want to talk about you. <laughs> uh, in high school, did you play sports? So I... I tried out for freshman baseball and I was overweight and none of the coaches knew me. And like we played rec ball and I was an all-star over like five of the guys who had made it. But I had, uh, I had a poor, they gave you like five minutes in the cage and like I hit a bunch of ground balls and that was all they ever saw of me without knowing me. And so I didn't make the freshman team and like, even like half the team was upset with me, a bunch of my friends. So that was as far as I got in athletics. No, I did. I didn't play sports. You're not clutch. I, I thought I was good, and uh, I guess, you know, five minutes in the cage wasn't enough for a pudgy, you know, freshman uh, freshman in high school. All those ground balls, you didn't learn about launch angles back then? <sighs> we didn't have that yet. Had I known, <laughs> I would have taken the Luke Voigt school of thought and started uppercut swinging. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you'll definitely get a bench spot for that. Like, you need a pinch at homer or something like that. Uh, <laughs> the, the Adam Dunn deal, either bang one outs or walk or strike outs. Uh, all right. Uh, college, do we regret Indiana? Indiana was good times? No regrets about Indiana. Indiana was some of the best times of my life. Took four years, only four years, which in my family was a short time to graduate. My brother took five, so happy about that. And yeah, I, I loved every second of Indiana. I didn't end up doing the whole journalism thing, though. Uh, I, I pledged a fraternity, and then journalism was completely forgotten about. Who had time for that when you were partying? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, what, what was the fraternity like? Give, give me a, a nugget or two from fraternity. What were you like in a fraternity? Uh, uh, <laughs> a disaster? Yeah. Um, completely different than I am today. Let's put it that way. My fiance has said a bunch of times, like, if you were like your stories, this never would have happened. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. What would you say to 20-year-old yourself or 19-year-old yourself? Uh, you, wouldn't talk, you wouldn't talk to 19-year-old yourself. Yeah, 19-year-old myself, I probably wouldn't. Uh, my sophomore year of college, I didn't leave the dorm room very much because we were partying all the time. Uh, we were using some drugs that are now legal, but were not legal at the time. And uh, yeah, that was it. Use your own <laughs> imagination on that. <laughs> Can't imagine what you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we get out of college and like, yeah, it's, but you, you said you changed your major, or like you're going to be a sports business person and you're not, you're not using that for anything. Uh, you just sort of 
getting into the family business. And that's, I think that's a lot of people. And that's something you don't really realize when you're getting to college is, you know, uh, you don't always apply your degree and like, you're not necessarily, unless like you're going for like to make a doctor or like a teacher or something super specific. At least that's my experience and my experience with a lot of people I know, but uh, yeah. And first job out of college is not very romantic. I, I basically get a similar experience. I did the same deal. I was a, doing telemarketing for like a yeah. month and that is miserable. I feel so bad for the telemarketers out there. I, I try to be as polite as possible when I get one on the phone because I know, I know the struggle, <laughs> but, yeah, but just, you know, nobody wants to talk. I don't want to learn about the power outages or whatever. So, <laughs> I'll take my chances. So I never forgot about the sport management thing. Like my first job was sports related. We were selling hospitality to like golf events, quit that. And like I said, like I was still listening to fantasy because I loved it. I've been doing it for years. And after that job, uh, I did end up back in the sports industry. I was selling hole-in-one insurance. Uh, so if you've ever, like, played a golf tournament and you see, like, if you get a hole-in-one on this hole, or if you watch – it was really contest insurance. If you watch basketball games and the guy is shooting for, like, 50 grand in tuition, there is someone insuring that. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So there's an insurance company that, you know, uh, the, the school is paying – a flat fee. And then the insurance company is actually paying out the, the 50 grand or whatever it is. If the guy makes the shot, same goes for hole in one insurance. And during that time, I met a guy who worked for the company who was a professional poker player and knew the guys who were starting the site fantasy draft. And, you know, knew that at that point I was on the radio doing content and things like that and made that inter introduction. So I still was doing sports. And from there was where I actually got my first daily fantasy job. I'm curious. I want to talk about that in a second, obviously, but now I'm curious. You mentioned this, uh, this insurance. Is it part of the insurance deal, like to pick out the most unathletic person in the crowd that like, you're obligated to pick out? <laughs> this is person's like 70 and like, you know, their last leg. And it's like, yeah, let, let's throw them out there for the halftime shot. Is that, in, is that written up in the thing or they can pick anybody? So yeah, at least for golf, um, there are different odds for like, if there's a pro, if there's our expected pros there, you know, taking the shot versus your average Joe, there are different ones. And I would assume that most of the deals, I wasn't behind them, but you needed someone who didn't have, you know, high school athletic background for it to be those odds or else you had to pay a higher premium because obviously someone with athletic background has a better chance. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I can't remember the specific situation, but you probably do since you're in the industry. But what that did happen, like somebody that had a high school background or a college background made one of those halftime shots and they rescinded it. They took it away from the person. And it was a come on, man. Like, yeah, well, I guess it's I guess it was an insurance loophole, I suppose. Yeah. And there were people who did that for hole in one, by the way, too, who like said that like two different guys hit it on the same tour. And there was a guy, you know, uh, part of the package with at least with some of the lower payouts, like below 50 grand was you just had to have someone watching uh, who you know, was in contact with the company and it could have been someone from the course. So if he was in on it, they easily could have scammed him. So you were talking about your next step in the industry. And I assume this is a season long, right? This is not DFS just yet. Yeah, I was playing some DFS, but it was mostly season long for Roto experts at that point is where I was. Yes. Okay. And then as far as DFS, what did you discover? Do you remember, give or take, as far as what year? When I just, it had to be prior to when I started with Fantasy Draft because by then I was playing and I think I had like one decent win by then. So it was probably five, six years ago was when I, I would say six years ago is when I discovered DFS. And it just so happened, like I think in like a $33 tournament, I had hit one big win before I was getting introduced to the people who ran fantasy draft. Well, that's so a good like sales pitch right there. Yeah, it was perfect timing. Yeah, and is that like the moment where you said like, this can be legit, this could be a thing I can latch onto, or it was a third down the road where you said, well, this DFS thing's for me and I can make a, a living out of it to some degree, if, if just from the content perspective, also from the playing perspective. Was that the moment, or I suppose you maybe you're thinking, I'm a one-hit wonder, or just like, just kind of let's see how it goes, that kind of thing? So I thought for a while that, you know, yearly fantasy was it, but once daily fantasy came along and I had a hit and I started seeing like all the money that was there, I started realizing that where the money is, is where you want it to be. So I think the moment I had my first big hit was the moment I realized that daily fantasy probably is where I want to be. And soon thereafter, like this daily fantasy site was starting, uh, they flew me and coworkers out basically for like a full five-star experience to see if we would, you know, get involved with the site. 
to the point where we sat courtside at like a Charlotte Hornets game. Uh, we went out for like an incredible dinner. And once I had that experience, I'm like, okay, this is definitely where the money is. This is definitely where I need to be. Like if they want me, this is where I'm going to be. And so when, when I started a fantasy draft, that was kind of where the light turned on. How long were you there for? Like two and a half years. I mean, I was there for a while doing their content. Uh, I did videos with London Fletcher for a while. I did videos with some of their other athletes. It was, it was an incredible experience to go from selling hole in one insurance to, you know, recording <laughs> videos with, with hall of fame football players. And I mean, the first time I met London, I was insanely hungover. We had, it was the second time I visited and there were some guys who said, okay, we're going out the night before. And they even joked with me, like, you need to get some sleep. You're going to do like this photo shoot the next morning. Like we need all these pictures for you in our, you know, in our content. And we went to, and saw Twista at a bar in Charlotte till about four in the morning. I had to be there at 6 a.m. So the first time I met London, I was on about an hour and a half of sleep, still drunk and had to do a photo shoot. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you point to the scoreboard and say, look, here's my, look, at, I binked this $33 contest. You should know who I am. Uh, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, he's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good dude, London Fletcher. What was that? Good dude. Oh, really good dude. I mean, he was one of the nicest people ever and he had no reason to be nice to me, especially with like how I came in there smelling and looking and stuff from the first, (laughs) I made an awful first impression and he was still insanely nice. Uh, So how do you, I'm curious, and obviously going forward as well too, it gets trickier and trickier and like the the more and more you play, I would imagine you're increasing your buy-ins, like the more successful you're getting, the balance of putting out content and making lineups and how do you juggle that? So for me these days, like I don't create my lineups until I've fully done the research for content. So they kind of go hand in hand now, especially if you're not doing like MME, you could really revert back to your work. And, and, you know, as the industry perspective changes over the course of the day and you get the feeling like people are going to be on this guy or that guy, you could just revert back to like, look, this is what I found in my research. I'm going to trust it. So I found that content actually helps me. And on days that like I have days off and I play daily fantasy, I don't feel as prepared. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that too. Like the one, the days where I'm concentrating more as far as content or like I'm more locked in, I tend to do better as well. And, and yeah. I guess also depends upon when you're delivering that content. If you're delivering that content in the afternoon, as opposed to delivering it all the way up the lock time, that makes it really tricky as well too. And I, I, I guess uh, at DR, you mostly, your, most of your work is done by within a couple hours of lock. So football and basketball, there's work to be done before lock, right? Because there's inactives. We have to adjust Mm. the projections. And basketball is the big one where the projections have to be adjusted every three seconds. It's gotten to the point where, like, I won't play more than one lineup on days that I'm adjusting the projections at at the back end for Daily Roto because I don't want my play to suffer. And, like, I, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't go to the projections and make that adjustment before I did mine. So you just don't want to lose a ton of money doing the right thing for the company because, you know, you got to put precedent for that over yourself. When, uh, when you met your fiance or anybody, just any, any walk of life, uh, when somebody says like, what do you do? What do you do for a living? How do you answer that question? Uh, I've had a variety and it kind of depends on like the feel I'm getting from the person. Yeah. I'm either a sports writer or a fantasy sports writer. And then if they ask a follow-up, I go into it. Uh, usually sports writer with like someone who absolutely does not understand. Oh, who do you write for? Well, and then it's, and that's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah you got to kind of feel them out. Exactly. And then I got to explain like, look, I've got in my living room, this like recording studio. It's a whole thing that it's hard to make them understand. Wait, so you gamble for a living? You're a gambler? Well, <laughs> I, I mean, skill, it's a game of skill. It's a whole conversation. I usually start with, uh, have you ever seen commercials for FanDuel or DraftKings? That's usually my yes. lead-in for that? Yes, that's my that's my exact lead-in almost 95% of the time, I would say. Yeah, and was that an issue with people? Was that an issue with your fiance? You know, and uh, if you're willing, you just as long as you keep pointing to the scoreboard and you know it's paying the bills, it's all good, I suppose. But just... Uh, I imagine some people would have issues with it. Some people wouldn't. Is that an issue? And also what about like making lineups and lock and like, how does that affect dinner plans and date night and things like that? So yeah, we have to specify certain nights where I'm either not going to look at my phone or not make lineups. And they're very rare. My fiance is very understanding, but like if her family's in town and I'm looking at my phone, like I'm not going to have a good time. (laughs) I think that's, that's pretty much how it goes. But you know, she goes to bed really early 
Uh, mm-hmm. So for KBO, it's kind of been perfect that I can make the lineups like late after she goes to bed. Uh, I kind of wish the MLB would be playing at like 2 a.m. It would be very great for my schedule. But, <laughs> you know, on nights where it's it's basketball, baseball, it's a little bit harder, but still she's really understanding, which is the reason we've stayed together. If there's like an eight o'clock late swap or late scratch or something like that in basketball, all of a sudden you're like, you got to sneak off to the bathroom or something like that kind of thing. Oh, so <laughs> her family must think that I have IBS or something <laughs> because when we go to dinner, I am, you know, oh, my stomach. And then boom, I'm in the bathroom, you know, adjusting draft keys because I saw, you know, a notification come across that such and such is not starting. Yeah, hey, you gotta. These things are. It's worth it for them to think you have IBS if it's gonna all of a sudden, uh, you know, change your teams drastically and, and you go from a negative night to a positive night. I suppose it's a fair trade off. I imagine. Uh, yeah. As far as your your DFS track, uh, you moved on to let's, let's just kind of get where you are today at Daily Roto. How, how do we get here? So fantasy draft did not continue my contract after like two and a half years, which is honestly longer than I thought I would make. So I linked up with industry buddy, Josh Palachi for a while with Roto Curve. I was very appreciative of what they did for me, but at some point it came to, you know, daily Roto was looking to expand. I got a, a direct message from Drew Dinkmeyer and Mike Leone who basically oh, made. Brag. They, yeah. Well, I had already been with Roto experts for a while, so they had worked with me. Um, and I actually asked them to stay when I left for fantasy draft, but at that point I was just a part-time guy, whatever, um, you know, fast forward to whatever it was, a bunch of wins later. And I actually was wanted in the daily fantasy industry. It was nice. And they basically made me a godfather offer that I, I couldn't refuse. So ended up there and I've been with daily Roto ever since. Biggest win, biggest sweat. So my biggest win was my, was the opposite of my biggest sweat, uh, I had a hundred K night in basketball last year and I was winning by about 15 points the entire time. And there was, so I think it was a five game slate and the last game was the nuggets game where a bunch of people had nuggets and both Paul Millsap and Gary Harris were the two guys on my tail. They both got injured in the first quarter. So um, did you fist pump? Did you celebrate or what what, did you like? Did you like, you feel guilty about that or what? what, what So, because I was, t- I thought I was the favorite going into the last game, but I couldn't take the pressure. So I went, my building has a gym and I went to work out. So I was just kind of following along while working out and trying not to sweat it too much. And I got texts saying that they had been hurt. And I was just, it was just like a, a sigh of relief. It wasn't like a, a celebration. You know, I would tell you if I celebrated, like, I'm not afraid to admit that sort of stuff because it's like, <laughs> nobody wants nature. to be that guy. <laughs> I know. And, and I have been that guy in the past. In this instance, I wasn't because I was just trying to, you know, ease my nerves as is. So I was already relaxed. And it was like, phew. You, uh, you win 100K, you're about to 100K. Do you wake up the fiance? Is she sleeping? Do you let her know what's going on? Do you let her sweat with you? It's whatever sweat it may be. Yeah, so she's usually asleep for the sweats. But when we're, we're close to like a big number, I'll wake her up and she'll understand. Um, but I got to make sure that I have a legitimate chance. Like if I woke her up and all of a sudden it was like a 3K night, she would kill me. So oh, yeah. <laughs> so we got to be like approaching the finish line. Uh, that's why I like Sunday baseball sweats. She's like a, awake for it, which is very rare. And there was actually the one I can recall is our building had a fire alarm in the final at bat of the early slate when Paul Goldschmidt was up in the final inning with a chance to beat me. And as he gets up, a fire alarm goes out. So I was sitting there looking out our window, seeing if there was smoke, debating if I was going to leave the building or go down <laughs> in flames, watching the final Goldschmidt at bat. And she's finally like, you've got to get out of here. We're like, fine. So we're running down the stairs following this Goldschmidt at bat. And, the, and how did it turn out? He got out. So I, I actually ended up winning that tournament. So that, that's the one I can recall where she was actually awake for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, I was reading, okay, I, I was jumping in your tweets and I read, uh, let's see, I once showed up to a live final in an Ed Hardy hoodie uh, and you showed off the uh, something that looked similar to that. First of all, what, you know, what year is this? I guess you're, are you still rocking the Ed Hardy? Uh, and secondly, uh, what live final is this and how'd you finish? So this was actually one that I went with to a live final. I was invited as a RotoCurve guest. Okay. Uh, and so I overstated it a little. I brought it with and didn't realize I had it. I didn't end up, I didn't end up wearing it. Um, at least not to any of those sponsored events. I think I wore it to dinner with the Roto curve guys. And then they like, I realized that I had brought that jacket and I don't even know why I did. 
Uh, and I ended up throwing it out later. So I, I officially have no Ed Hardy stuff. My mom worked at Nordstrom throughout the course of my college career. So she would always buy it for me. And I would always tell her, like, I actually ate this. But the Ed, <laughs> the Ed, the Ed Hardy stuff would keep coming. And I, I'm, like, not someone who likes to shop for myself. So if it's in my closet, like, I'm wearing it. I thought fraternity guys are supposed to like it already. Is that not a thing? The Venn diagram does not exist? It, okay. So a bunch of the guys liked Affliction, but very yeah. few guys liked Ed. I was, Ed Hardy was, I was always the laughing stock for that. Let's put it that way. Ed Hardy was like the line drawn for the fraternity guys. <laughs> it was like any brand but that, you're fine. Uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't aware. I, I always thought of them as kind of a similar thing, but I guess I'm wrong. They're, they're two different factions. Yeah, so like Ed Hardy's, like some of them are like ridiculous over the top. Affliction just has like crosses and they're like things you would see like worn in like the Jersey Shore. (laughs) I'd have to show you a sweatshirt to show you how ridiculous some of these Ed Hardy ones are. Like how over the top, crazy, like no one should be wearing this kind of thing. I I am intrigued. Uh, I definitely want to take it out for sure. Uh, let's see. I have a lot of other, tw- well, you mentioned working out. Let's get to this. Let's, uh, the Peloton it's, it's, you're rocking the Peloton apparently is that in, during the quarantine, are you one of the few people that's actually getting in better shape during quarantine? Yes. I've lost since February close to 20 pounds. So wow. yeah. So the Peloton has been huge for me. Um, I have, I got Mike Leone into it, by the way, shout out to Mike Leone. Uh, you beat him apparently. I, I, I saw it in a tweet as well. You crushed him. You guys are having competitions against each other. Yeah, you can like stream video. So he we uh, we can talk to each other, even though he hasn't figured out his audio yet. So I just hear like his kids screaming in the background and can't hear him. Nice. Um, but yeah, we've had these races. And uh, I don't know if you're you follow Barstool, but they have this like uh, biker gang now. It's called the Buns of Anarchy. I always follow along with I'm not aware of that, that but do. that's a nice fun. <laughs> oh, it's, it's really funny. It's they started a uh, Peloton biker gang. And they have, like, races that, like, if you compete in them, you can win free T-shirts and, like, Booger McFarland's in it. There's actually a bunch of, like, verified dudes in it, a bunch of, like, sports writers you would know. Like, I think Jeff Schwartz is one of them. Uh, So I just like to be in these races and, like, compete with these dudes. And, yeah, I mean, it it has been good for my mental health because I think I would be going crazy just sitting in here without a gym. And so just just having the ability to go to a gym, like, our gym in my building is closed. Mine too. It's been a game changer, yeah. Does Booger McFarlane's Peloton look like the, the Boogermobile? Is it is it a specially built <laughs> Peloton? All I can tell you is the metrics on Peloton are so messed up. Like it goes by weight. And I have beat Booger and I have beat, I think it was Damian Woody. We did the last dance ride. It was like an ESPN sponsored ride. And I killed him in every metric. And because he weighs more, he had like 250 calories burned more than I did. And I didn't see how that was physically possible. Sell me on it and why it's a game changer because what it's like a hundred thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. It's a big investment, isn't it? So you can pay it zero percent per month. So you can pay a hundred bucks a month, basically. Uh, so it doesn't feel so bad. It depends on how much you get in the warranty. It itself is like twenty three hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but if you pay a hundred a month, it just feels like you're making a bigger car payment or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, you could take classes. You can compete against people. And it's not just like bike classes. Like on the bike, they have like workout classes where you can put weights on the back and you can like sit on the bike and do arms and, and things like that. You can do recovery classes. You can do yoga. So, I mean, is it worth that money? You would have to decide that there are some knockoffs that are, you know, better values. But for me, just to have like this very functional and it's tiny, by the way, I don't know how the competitors are, but you can fit it in like a corner of any room. Like we have a 900 square foot apartment with no room and it fit fine. Okay. Yeah. That was one of my concerns as well too. I was curious about that. And I have like a 500 square foot apartment here in downtown Nashville and yeah, not not a lot of space obviously to go around. Uh, But yeah, it's one of those things that's worth it if you use it, right? It's worth it if you use it and you're using it and the other results show as well too. So congratulations on that. Do we have, do we have like a goal, a goal weight or just going to knock it out and keep going and see where it takes you? We want to be skinny by the wedding. I don't really care about the weight because I'd like to put muscle back on after this is over, but we'd like to be skinny. So once we like how we look, that'll be the, you know, we'll have hit the goal. When that is, you know, maybe never. <laughs> Do we have a, a wedding date or is that kind of thrown off with the quarantine? So that or was, is this, pushing... a, is this a rough question? <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we've, we're basically in the process of officially making the decision to push it back to September of, ne- of next year. 
Yeah. Um, basically, it was going to be in Michigan where she's from later this year. And we just don't know if the rules are going to be like, can you have gatherings that big? So we feel like the, the, the safe way to do it is to push it back. But we need our grandmothers to make it till then. We felt confident this year with their age. We're not sure next year. So that was the only our our main concern more than like the date was like who can everyone be there but like i don't want people to be wearing masks she certainly doesn't want people to be wearing masks we'd rather just be normal or feel normal and be later yeah i mean that's the other part of it is like even if it, if things are uh you know like type of lessons i suppose as far as restrictions uh, are people going to show up and people would it's also a great excuse like yeah. you, not that people don't want to go to your wedding, of course, but sometimes <laughs> people are looking for an excuse to get out of a wedding. It's like, oh, I would, but you know, the whole pandemic thing, uh, <laughs> I'd be all over it. But <laughs> great built-in excuse to get out of a wedding, I suppose. But uh, I was just waiting for that return card from Drew Dinkmeyer with those exact words, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does. It is. It does seem legitimate, I guess. But yeah, it's also it's a great legitimate excuse, I suppose, to get out of it. But uh hopefully it'll be all good uh, next year i guess we're talking about 16 months or so it's plenty of time down the road uh michigan that's what we're looking at yeah her dad's country club so we got a deal there got to take it you know a guy we know a guy <laughs> <laughs> uh twitter i know you from twitter and i'm always you know you don't really seem to get into it when i'm mixing up a lot of people and i'm always curious uh what's like the meanest tweet what's the meanest tweet you ever got on twitter like maybe based upon your content like oh i can't believe you picked so and so he's stunk and you know, you're like, hey, sample size and variance and yada, yada, yada. Is there any way it's ever like, like, is there one that kind of sticks out for you? Is like the meanest tweet you ever got? So not the single meanest, but there was a meanest guy. There was a troll I had at Rotocurve who absolutely hated me. Mm-hmm. Um, who basically anytime my article came out would say like, I know who I'm fading tonight. And it was weird because it was during a stretch where like, I actually had some pretty good results. There were some bad nights along the way, but I was a tournament player. And these were my tournament plays. And so, sure, maybe it failed, you know, four nights out of five, and then I had a big night. And he would only comment on, like, the fact that, like, even though I was up a ton for the week, it was, like, the other nights, I when my article would come out, he'd be like, I know who my fades are tonight. Like, this guy sucks. Why do you have him employed? And, like, every time my article came out, probably 30 tweets in a month, you know, with my articles, he would always, always, always – be tweeting at me so i would i would look at my mentions and as soon as he tweeted i'd be like oh rotocurve must have released my article because i know this guy says i suck today <laughs> i i notice from my, my whenever people come at you like that uh is just i always say okay is this me or is this everybody and i always look at let's see their last 10 tweets or their last 20 tweets right and nine times out of ten it's like cons- it's consistently okay this person just goes at everybody which it makes you that makes you feel a little better it's like, okay not this guy this guy was just for me by the way <laughs> just <isolated> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, he was the exception to the rule that's amazing hey you're only as good as your last event you're only as good as your last article and you if you put up one bad article all of a sudden you know yep. you're the worst i suppose uh chicago guy talk to me about the uh, the jordan documentary did you enjoy that i assume you did yeah, I mean, I was a little kid when this happened. In 1998, I was 10 years old. So, like, I remember where I was when he hit that shot against Brian Russell. I don't remember any of the other contexts. So this was kind of like living the glory days for me that I, like, knew happened but didn't really know the details. So for me, it was the best, you know, 10 hours of TV that I've watched off quarantine with, with all the context of the Rodman thing in Vegas I didn't know all the Michael Jordan, like, spite things that he got into, I didn't know. I remember Jerry Krause, like, my dad speaking ill of him. I didn't remember all the context with him. So it was really informative and entertaining at the same time. Uh, I could just tell you, every one of my friends, we had, you know, text chains with the different groups when the last dance was on because we are all like, oh, I didn't remember that. I didn't remember this. It was like, you know, the South Park member berries, except we all forgot. You can't besmir- your dad. I hope he's not besmirching Jerry Krause's dancing ability. Let's just at least give him that. He's a hell of a dancer, right? Yeah, no, I don't remember him ever saying anything negatively about the dance moves specifically. But also, yeah. if you watch my dad's dance moves, he can't speak ill of anyone else's. Well, there you go. Uh, those in glass houses. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's wild to think about it because, like, Rodman going on like wrestling NWO, like the in between yep. games. Like imagine that in 2020 with social media and I understand they, they dealt with Rob in a different way. And like, you know, you got the best out of him, like treating him, you know, you can't treat everybody exactly the same, but it's, I just can't help but think like, imagine this happening in 2020 and just social media and everybody having a camera phone. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just sort of wild to take it all in. And did you have like your, a favorite moment? Because I think uh, what, ba- what Michael Jordan has given the basketball 
Michael Jordan is also given the gifts. The gifts are amazing. Yes, the gifts from I think the gifts the social media was probably better than the show. I mean, the Michael Jordan <laughs> looking at the iPad, I mm-hmm. I haven't even given it a shot because everyone else has done it so well on Twitter and I don't want to be like the guy who's like way behind with the memes. Mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying everyone else taking advantage of that to the absolute max. I thought uh, the Michael Jordan headphones one has been kind of overplayed. I haven't found that one as funny as the other ones. I'm just yeah. going to be honest. But the, the Michael Jordan looking at the iPad ones and like the faces he makes, that that was probably the best part of the whole show, both in terms of memeage and just content of him looking at what people had to say. Yeah, when uh, Gary Payton was talking about locking up Michael Jordan, yes. that, that was that was my favorite part. And uh, I mean, again, I want Netflix to do a show of just Jordan watching stuff. Just reacting <laughs> his own like Jordan you on his own reaction channel. I, I, like, I'm uh, that. like that uh, Viceland show where what's his name? The rapper watches ancient aliens. Just give Jordan a show where he just watches things. Do you know what uh, I'm talking about? Is that Action Jackson or he's got a cooking Action show? Bronson? Action that's, Action Bronson. That's uh, is that the guy? Okay, yeah, I know he does yeah. cooking. He has, he has more than one show on Vice. So I'm not sure. I just watched that whole wrestling series. So I got to Beyond the Mat. No, not Beyond the Mat. What's it so, called? The, the Dark Side of the Ring. Yes, I actually really watched that. Uh, a bunch of those. Those have been really sad, good. very sad, but like well done. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Action the, Bronson has a show where he watches ancient aliens with like dudes who come on and like smoke with them. It's 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 bad TV, but it's entertaining. How would you definitely love that show? Yes, College <laughs> Me would have been entertained. Me now just has to change the channel. <laughs> <laughs> it's geared toward, toward a certain audience. One last thing on the documentary. Uh, explain the pizza thing to me because it doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense to me. <sighs> I, I can't. I mean, I think we were debating this in the Daily Roto like side chat. Like, we think he he's overselling it. We we're not sure what to make of it. Like, he, the, there was like a pizza hit squad or something. Is what like we're supposed to be sold happened, and I don't buy it. I think he was just sick or hungover. Uh, oh yes, that's that's another theory. Is is that I don't know. I mean, up all night pu- puking makes sense with the the hungover theory, but. I don't know what to make of that. You're Michael Jordan. You're in Utah. You're hungry. It's 10 o'clock at night, right? You want to order a pizza. I guess he's got a guy that orders a pizza for him. He's got a personal dude. Yeah. Does this guy <laughs> say, hey, I'm so-and-so and I'm ordering on behalf of Michael Jordan? Like, because somehow right. these if five people show up, five deliver, I've never, I've ordered food plenty of times. I'm sure you have as well. And five people never show up. It's just one person. Uh, if five people show up, the, uh, the you know assumption here is that some of them are tipped off it was Jordan, but you don't say, like what they're like, listen, we're closed. Like, wait a second, this pizza's from Michael Jordan. You better open up now. Like, okay, now everybody's gonna come over. How do they know it's for Jordan? Like, this is my question. I'm playing amateur armchair detective. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't check out. Yeah, uh, I, I I do question what he said on the phone call. Like, we're here with the bowls. Like, deliver it to the room where number twenty three <laughs> is in. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't check out for me. Speaking of pizza, we're on pizza right now, and I don't know if you're making a joke here or not. Uh, you're talking about the five jobs you previously had, and you're talking about takeout specialist at Lou Malmati's, yes. which of course is classic. And now, does that mean you're just taking out a lot of pizza and you're making a joke, or you actually work the takeout register? No, I actually worked the takeout register. That was like my first job in, in high school was Lou Malmati's, who anyone who's been to Chicago, if you haven't been introduced, uh, that's sacrilegious. I mean, that's that's our pizza, which you can argue whether it's pizza or not, but it, it's incredible. And yeah, my first job was answering phones and basically you know working the takeout section where i'd try to get all my friends deals who came in and uh i mean it was it was a hop in place so yeah that that is not a joke i was actually once worked with pizza they tried to have me flip a pizza i threw it on the floor and uh they (laughs) they relegated me to takeout yeah well rightfully so (laughs) i'm learning in high school you weren't clutch you couldn't flip pizzas you couldn't hit baseballs (laughs) you didn't peak at like 16 unfortunately no i will i will tell everyone that yeah, no. And anyone who knows me knows that's true, that high school Ricky was was nothing like college Ricky, where he actually did peak. So um, it's a chain, though. Isn't Lomati's kind of sort of a chain, like a local Chicago chain? And like, is that the best? That's the go-to? Like, if you're going to say, if you're going to power rank, and I know the whole New York pizza versus Chicago pizza is a big argument, they'll never end. And you could just like them both, I suppose, but that's no fun. Yeah. Like, Jordan or LeBron, pick one. You can't pick the <laughs> other one. Um, yeah, so I, I assume Chicago pizza is your favorite pizza over in New York and everywhere else. And, and Lumonati's, if I'm visiting Chicago, that's the place I got to go. That's the first stop. So I am personally, yes. So Chicago over New York for me, um, visit New York, had the fold over pizza, 
not going to speak ill of it. I just don't think it's quite as good or as plentiful. And for someone who eats a lot, like I do, uh, the quantity is as important as the quality. But Giordano's is my favorite in Chicago, mostly because I worked at Lou Malnati's for many years and would eat it so much that I was so accustomed to it. It's it's better as like a shock your system out of town kind of person, but either one of those would be completely fine and, and would be the ones that I would show the out of towners. Yes. You worked as an umpire. Uh, did, did you ever get into a fight with a, with a coach, with a player, anything you remember? Like a, you got into a spat is, or was it just kids? Was it high school kids? Or who were your umpires? So because my dad was involved with the park district, I became a fill-in umpire. I like missed the deadline. And so for a summer when like someone was sick last second, they'd call me. So because I was a backup and people knew I was a backup, I didn't get that much crap. Uh, I did have parents yell at me a few times. I never had to throw anyone out though, mostly because like I'm laid back and like I would hear them yelling at me. I'd just be like, nah, whatever. There were things that were said that I certainly could have thrown them out for, but they got the right umpire. Let's put it that way. Let's uh, let's hit up some of your favorites. Uh, do you have a favorite athlete of all time? Uh, mine's strange, but Mark Pryor was always my guy. He had like one good season, but like as a kid, I was obsessed with him. My room was like all Mark Pryor stuff. I had Mark Pryor cards, multiple Mark Pryor jerseys. And, uh, you know, I loved that 2003 Cubs team that I still think was the best team. Hey, you know, one of my favorite teams of all time, the 2000, 2003 Marlins. <laughs> yeah. But could you forgive the whole Bartman thing? It was, first oh. of all, Moises Alou completely overreacted. He, oh, he escalated that whole situation. Can we talk about this first? I didn't realize this, but yeah, let's, let's have it out. Because I was a Marlins fan. I was watching the game live with my Marlins friends, and I'm like, I remember watching Alou like throwing his glove and like throwing a little bit like a fit, like a, in the crowds. Like, what do you just relax, man? You're, you're up like, what was it three nothing, four nothing, whatever it was at the time? And you need five more outs or six more outs, whatever it was. Uh, and I was like, this is the spark. And like all of a sudden, the floodgates open. And if you're going to blame anybody, blame Alex Gonzalez. He blew the yes. table, the, the, double, the double play right in, his, right in his glove. He would have ended the inning. And then like seven more runs later, you tell me about Bartman. Oh, I'm, I've always been on team blame Alex Gonzalez. And I didn't understand the Bartman thing. Like he was a fan who was there. And how many times, like if you're sitting on the edge, your instinct would be if a ball was near you to reach over also. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, I don't think he, I was always anti, like he got run out of town. If I recall, he moved to Florida. He like had to go by an alias for a while. Bartman he never got, spoke about it to my knowledge. Like he's never, he's so scarred by it. And like there was even a forgiving Bartman documentary, the 30 for 30. He wasn't on that. But yeah, I think it's ruined his life. Yeah, that was that was insane. That was a bad look from Cubs fans and Chicago fans in general. That was a bad look. St. Louis fans would never do that because that's the best fans in the world. That's my understanding. Are in St. Louis? Are, do you hold? Uh, is is it Dusty Baker's fault? Is Dusty Baker responsible for the the, the the demise of Mark Pryor? I think he's the demise. He's responsible for the demise of a bunch of pitchers. Yes, I, <laughs> Dusty Baker is a leave guys in until they are done sort of guy. But I mean, Pryor had some fluke injuries. I think he ran into it was Marcus Giles at second base, which is one of them, which was a fluke. Um, I blame him more for Kerry Wood than I do for Mark Pryor. Uh, in game, your your favorite sporting events you attended live. So this is weird saying this is an Indiana fan, but the most momentous game I went to was my dad went to Illinois and we went to that Illinois, North Carolina championship. I think it was 2004 um, when it was Darren Williams, uh, James Augustine, I think was on that team against like Raymond Felton, Sean May, Rashad McCants, Marvin Williams. uh, And we sat like seventh row in a championship with the Illinois fan section that was the most memorable sports memory I have. Otherwise, it's been a bunch. I mean, like I went to a Blackhawks um, championship game, but I'm just not fully appreciative of hockey being a baseball, basketball, football guy. So I think it was that championship, but I don't really have like too many you know, memories of, of going to games that like I will never forget. You mentioned food, maybe a favorite food. And I, th- I found this kind of interesting as well, too. Yourself and your fiance, you've been to 40 different restaurants that were featured on diners, drive-ins and dives. <laughs> Uh, you're calling it your 40th anniversary. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll get away with that. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, are they that close? Are you making like trips around the country to hit them all up? You're kind of mapping this out. Like, I imagine they're all like all over the country. I don't know. Yeah, they're all over the country. Um, part of my bucket list is to sit courtside at every NBA stadium. So when we get long weekends, uh, we travel across the country, and when we go there, we go to diner, drive-ins, and dives, and like. My dad has a conference every year that we do as a family trip. So when we're there, um, it's, it's all over the country. We go to diners, drive-ins, dives. But yeah, so we, we've made trips. We sat 
we did New Orleans. We've done Indiana. We've done Milwaukee. We've done we've done a bunch. We're at like seven or eight right now. I don't want to list you know waste your time listing all of them. But whether is there one that just kind of stands out for you is one that like you know you, you can put your stamp of approval on, or one that you, a guy Fieri you just sent an off day and he's like you know what maybe we uh, he steers in the wrong direction. He's basically legit every time. Okay, so there's one in Boston called Cafe Polonia, which is like a Polish place. Uh, pierogies. I'm trying to think what else they had. Uh, all kinds of soups. Um, that was incredible. I mean, I'm I'm not really accustomed to like Polish food. They had you know uh, potato pancakes as well, and the food there. I keep saying like blew me away. Have not having that genre before. If you're ever there and you're not and you haven't tried pierogies, at least you know like really authentic ones. I think it's like South Boston Cafe Polonia. All right. Well, we'll definitely uh, yelp it after the show. And then I've been to Boston. I didn't go there. I guess I missed out, I suppose. It's like uh, slightly outside the city, but it was so good. And you said, you, how many, how many uh, arenas have you now been to as far as courtside, as far as your, uh, your bucket list? I think we're at eight for courtside. I think what's I think- the funniest thing you've heard. Uh, I've never sat, I've sat like four or five rows up. What's, I don't know how close you get or if you get the first row or second row or third row. What's the funniest thing you heard? Like the most interesting trash talk you've heard that you can recall. You can, you can hear him talking, right? Yeah. So we, yes. So we were at a game where Frank Vogel was talking to the ref. And I remember being shocked at what he was saying, like telling him he was out of position and uh, you need to be in a better position to make that call. But he was saying it. So he wasn't yelling. He was just like talking to the guy and, you know, the guy wasn't reacting, but it was something where if he was yelling it, I felt like, whoa, whoa, he would have gotten tossed for this. But because he was like nicely saying like, you blew this call, you should have been there. I don't know how you made that. Uh, there was no reaction at all from the ref. So that that off the top of my head is the craziest thing I can remember. Maybe it was a new ref. Is that possible? I don't know. Probably no, I think I, I, it was, uh, was it Danny Crawford? You can't get away Danny. with that with Joey Crawford. Joey Crawford will throw you out. Right. It was, I think it was Danny Crawford, who's like one of the nicest refs in the entire league, by the way. Uh, like he's, no, he's a Chicago guy. Like my dad's friends know him. So he's got a rep for just being insanely nice. So it made sense that like, if you approach him like that, he's not going to do anything. Uh, are you binge watching anything during the quarantine? You have a favorite TV show that like you like uh, historically, something that just kind of popped up out of nowhere that you're watching now. Uh, hit up the deal Netflix and the Amazon, the whole deal, or what are we watching? So I'm on season five of Boardwalk Empire, which oh. I missed the first time around. And that is a damn good show. Uh, I will say season five has been kind of confusing because they like flash forward and you got to figure out everything that happened. But if you haven't watched Boardwalk Empire and you're a Martin Scorsese fan at all, or even like a Steve Buscemi fan, it's some of the best TV you'll watch. It's just a different era that you're not accustomed to. And we just started the show White Lines on Netflix. I don't know if you've watched this yet. I've seen it recommended, but I haven't clicked on it just yet. But I can vouch for Boardwalk Empire, Nookie Thompson. It's a, uh, it's yes. awesome. It's a, and I, it's one of those shows that, like for whatever reason, uh, kind of gets lost in the conversation. Like most people yeah. don't talk about it, but it's really well done. I agree. But tell me about White Lines. Well, we're two episodes in, and we're hooked. The fiance and I. It's about it's in Ibiza, first of all, and it's the director from um, Money Heist. If you've watched that, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's good. Should okay, I put so- it on the list as well? So Money Heist, if you're fine reading, you know, subtitles the whole time, sort of like Narcos, it's really in-depth. It's like levels upon levels. It's like the inception of a TV show, oh. which is which kind of makes it good. And so this specific director, I don't even remember his name, uh, we're kind of watching this show where there's – obviously White Lines cocaine is involved. Uh, <laughs> the main character's brother has died, and they're trying to figure out how, and he was involved with, like, the cocaine trade. That's That's the summary. It's uh, as far as the shows, like uh, some shows you have to pay attention to, and some shows you can like multitask you and do different things. I imagine uh, you're talking about the shows that you have to actually just close the laptop and actually pay attention and re- uh, read the TV. You can't uh, get away with it. If, uh, yeah, subtitle shows you can't multitask. I've done that so many times. While I've been working and I had to fast, you know, go back like three episodes. I realized I missed the entire thing during the, the whole day. <laughs> Who's this guy? Where yeah, did he come from? Exactly. Uh, you have a favorite movie? Oh, favorite movie. Uh, mine has always been basketball. I'm a like stupid humor kind of guy. And I know that's like an out there pick. Like I feel like Happy Gilmore, even in that genre, is probably more the go-to. But in terms of like good movies, uh, I love Django, by the way. I will watch that anytime it's on. It was Goodfellas for a while, but I feel like that's too cliche to say like Goodfellas or Scarface or something like that. I like mob movies and I like stupid humor. So anything that fits that bill, you can consider my favorite. 
that checks out with a tweet you had. Uh, describe your favorite movie in three words. I think you said like they play basketball or they invent <laughs> basketball or something like that. So yeah, yeah. that does check out. And uh, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Django. We, we The previous episode, uh, I know this doesn't make any sense, but again, there's no rule of sports going on. Uh, not a lot of real sports going on. The previous episode of the Morning Grind podcast that we're on right now, uh, we talked about, we debated uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's best movies. Uh, and we, we ranked him in the top 20. And uh, coming soon to a Twitter near you, we're going to have some polls out there. And Django is probably my favorite too. And it's not like mine necessarily was consensus. It was me and multiple people, you know, kind of having the conversation. But I don't know if that's a Leo movie per se. It's more of a Jamie Foxx movie, more of a Tarantino right. movie. But uh, I love Django too. I think it's an amazing I, movie as well. Can I just say the one thing I didn't like about that movie is the Rick Ross song in the middle of it. I just didn't feel like it fit the genre. If Tarantino is really good with his music, but uh, that's fair. It's a fair criticism. It just didn't, yeah. it didn't make sense. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, like I like rap songs in movies when they fit. I just didn't feel like a movie from that that era should have been there. That was the only thing that drives me crazy about that movie. You uh, you like speaking of songs, speaking of music, uh, you like reggae. Yeah, yeah, reggae. I, I am completely like indifferent to it. I know nothing. I mean, I, I'll hear it. I'll like, okay, that's fine. And I, I, I hate to sound, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, negative. I, I just a lot of it sounds redundant to me. Maybe I'm just naive and I don't know it very well. So, uh, wh- wh- how do we so, find reggae? And I imagine again, this all sort of correlates with twenty-year-old shenanigans, possibly. Maybe. <laughs> so that's where that's where it started. No question. Um, but like Three Eleven was a band that I had always liked. Who had like oh, yeah. they were they were you know mainstream rock but they had their reggae undertones and that kind of got me into in college some other reggae bands and like classic reggae like bob marley it's the same you know strings over and over but i think modern reggae takes that to kind of a different level with their guitar solos and things like that where it's not just like you know every little thing's gonna be all right it's that that beat throughout the whole thing uh it's just good vibes it's just a way to stay positive i think more than other genres uh any other genre like hard rock usually has some like angry undertones. Uh, I mean, there's like whiny rock, which has some sad undertones and reggae is just almost always happy. So as someone who likes to stay happy, just having that sort of music, it just, it does my mental health well. And I, I will say the, uh, there's a reggae bar in Chicago that if you ever come visit, I will take you there. And I think that will change your mind single-handedly. It's my favorite place on earth. I'm open-minded to it. I, I, again, I don't yeah. dislike it. It's just not something I listen to. Like it's not something I fire up. But like, if I wander into it, it's like, yeah, this is good. I'm fine with this. Yeah, uh, and you're you're taking me back with 311. I, you know, uh, Omaha Grassroots, SA, yes. Nick Hexum. Nick I was all into that stuff back in the day. I don't know if their new stuff is going on. I imagine they're still a thing. I think they're, they're still, still a, thing. a thing, and their new album is very good, by the way. Good all feeling. Right. Try that song out. All right, well, we'll check it out. Uh, you wrote a content for Survivor. I love Survivor. Survivor yes. is great. I didn't really play the Survivor FanDuel game for whatever reason. I don't really know why. I was just kind of like, I just basically unplugged from DFS because I just, you know, for a right. month, month and a half, whatever it was. But um, t- is Tony the greatest Survivor player of all time? How did they not vote him out? What happened there? They blew it. They completely blew it. I don't know why people didn't realize, like, during the middle that this guy was the strongest contestant. But somehow he always convinced certain groups of people that he was on their side it would be voting their way. I think the answer is yes. So just to be completely honest, I missed the first 39 seasons of Survivor. And what? I came in here. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did have my friend fill me in about like, you know, the backstories of a bunch of these guys. If I was writing Daily Fantasy, I yeah. wanted to at least have an idea. But the way Tony got through this season, I don't understand. Like the, if you remember early in the season, Yule like tried to be sneaky and boom, they voted him out. And mm-hmm. Tony did that every episode and people would talk about like, I know Tony's being sneaky. And for some reason he wasn't on the radar. So just that fact alone, just how good he was socially uh, kind of makes me jealous. I wish I could, I could, uh, you know, talk to people like that and get them on my side, especially the I, guy who used to troll me. <laughs> <laughs> he would have, he would have given, voted to give you a couple million bucks for sure. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, do you have any interest now in going back and watch all like the previous, I mean, there's so much content there and I imagine you can find it on some platform, maybe CBS.com. I don't know. You probably can watch the previous 39 seasons somewhere, which uh, I'm not a big reality show guy, but I just like the whole concept. And I think it's a really clever sort of like it, all the, the gamesmanship and just the different ways it can go. I think it's a fun watch. Yeah, I definitely have interest in watching future seasons if there are, and maybe a season or two of the winner that I liked. I don't know if I would go back and watch 40 seasons of Survivor with yeah, so lot. much other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> It's a big commitment. You can just sort of pick and choose, I suppose, your, your, your favorite seasons. 
if, if you weren't working in DFS today or in the sports world, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I would be in the restaurant business. You know, we talked about the diner drive and dive thing. Uh, I think that I would be in food if I wasn't in sports. I mean, if I wasn't DFS and you still allowed me to be in the sporting industry, I would have tried, you know, management, things like that. But I still remember back from my college days when I took sport management 101. And they basically said, like, out of college or even five years, if you expect to be making, you know, 100,000, you're crazy. You know, 25 grand is the starting pay. You got to really grind it out. And I just had friends that had like a bad experience. So I don't think I would have had it in me to grind out, you know, uh, 80 hour weeks, pay, you know, without paid overtime. I would have gone to the restaurant business, done something with food. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I worked in the restaurant business as well, too. And one thing I noticed at some point is like, you don't see a lot of old managers. That that job just beats you up, man. I mean, yeah. that, that job, like you said, the, and the hours, uh, they're working 60, 70 hours sometimes a week. And it's a, it's a rough business, but uh, it's fun, too. I, I enjoy one day, you know, my moments there, but I also wanted to move on. But yeah, as far as and being the owning side, of course, I wasn't the I was just a, a server making right. smart ass comments to people. <laughs> I, I would, uh, you know, I would bet. I mean, of course, uh, I got to stay on, uh, stay on brand. We would bet like uh, the next couple coming in is it's uh, are we gonna have an odd number of people, an even number of people, and I would, be, I would buy and sell tips. Just I, how's your table going? And what, what's the bill at? These are the things I would do to keep my uh, keep my sanity. I was, I was, I was waiting tables. For I just got a flashback. I don't know why. This is not about me. This is about you. Uh, pick one of these two. You tweeted about liking them both. Better Call Saul or, or, or uh, Breaking Bad? You got to pick one. Breaking Bad, not close, in my opinion. I've yeah. complained. I complained for at least three seasons that Breaking Bad, was, or excuse me, Better Call Saul was a lot of buildup and not enough action when when it came to the climax. I will say season four and five have been better, especially five. But Breaking Bad was just awesome. Once you got past like the first three episodes, it was nonstop. Yeah. I mean, it's also hard for suspense because you kind of know what's going to happen, you know? Uh, right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to do that, but it, and it's the ultimate slow burn. Like breaking better call saw is just like uh, they can take a, a one second, you know, throwaway line and turn that into like a 15 minute suspenseful scene. It's yeah. just so well done with it, the way they shoot that. Uh, but uh, if you're going to only pick one, I think you have to pick breaking bad amongst the two, but I did make yeah. the argument. I think that Vince Gilligan could have quite possibly maybe created the two best shows of this century so far. Can we argue that maybe uh maybe not two best shows i don't think <laughs> i would put better call saws as number two well it's, I, it's just saying it's in the conversation you present i'm not saying i'm okay. not making that argument i think one could you tell me what, what's better yeah give me one's better something you already watched probably or something that you're uh you already, already mentioned uh i think ozark is better just off the top of my head it's a similar it's similar to breaking bad right we're just kind of like thing happens and it gets get progressively worse and worse and worse and bad yeah. guy and you know, normal guy, normal family, all of a sudden doing abnormal things. That, that's a really fun show, but just don't ask too many questions. Yeah. Right. Favorite character in Ozark. You know this. It's all everybody's favorite, favorite character, right? Uh, I think you're going to say the curly haired. It's Ruth. Isn't it yes. Ruth? Yes. Well, you, is that what you're going to say? Uh... <laughs> I don't want to answer. Between, for I'm between her and Marty Bird. I'm, I'm, I'm partial to both. To both. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I like the access one because you never really know what you're going to get. And I think I'm going to get a good answer here. We'll see. Uh, random. So do you have a random celebrity encounter? A random celebrity encounter. Do we have a random celebrity encounter? <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask her. I don't remember the last one that I, I came across. Yeah. Well, you, you didn't miss a you didn't oh. run the guy Fiari. No, we haven't run into running into in public is bad too, because like I'm, you know, uh, oh yeah, I do have one. Actually, that's like a really good call. The last one I had was we were out to dinner with my fiance's family, and when there was speculation about where Bryce Harper was going to go, he was in town playing the Cubs, oh. and both he and Chris Bryant were at a booth right next to us having dinner with their wives. That was the encounter. So the speculation was that Bryce Harper was going to be a Cub, and I thought he'd yes. be a Cub too because uh, it's my understanding. Didn't he name his dog Wrigley? Yes. His, I mean, isn't that it? That's all we need to know, isn't it? Hold on. Where is my dog? If you ever look at his Instagram, his dog looks exactly like mine, too. It's sick. They What's look like they're name? clones. Griffin. <laughs> Why Griffin? Is it named after, like, Family Guy or something, or what? <laughs> it, it was actually named after Blake Griffin. Uh, oh, okay. Just I like to do 
unique names, which didn't turn out to be so unique. There's another Griffin in this building, but I like to like base it off sports things or things I like. And it just, I thought it was a good dog name. But once I saw there was another Griffin, I was actually disappointed. I wanted it to be, you know, like the only name, like my parents' dog's name is Ocho Cinco and they call that's him good. Ocho. The, so that's, that's funny. But, but because uh, I know a lot of DFS guys, uh, Eddie has a dog named Boban. Uh, <laughs> a- a- Andy Means has a dog named Boogie. So I really? guess it's just, yeah, it's just a DFS thing, I suppose. <clears throat> and I'm going gonna, gonna to go out on a limb and I'm going to say <clears throat> Griffin is, is not like one or two because you, ne- you definitely want to name that after Blake Griffin's last couple of years. So I'm going to say Griffin yeah. is about seven to eight years old. Did I nail yes. it? He's, he's six going on seven. All right. Yeah. Well, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's named their dog. Like, I mean, Blake's fine. You know, it was a right. good run. He's a funny dude as well, too, if you ever see his comedy I was going to say, his comedy is what you would name him after these days. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, nobody's naming their dog Griffin anymore. How is that what you're, you're getting out? You're walking the dog. Is that, is that a process there? Is that a whole ordeal in the apartment in these current times? No, not an ordeal at all. We have a dog park, like, a block away from us. So it's, it's a really nice way to, like, just clear my head. And even if I only have, like, 10 minutes before I got, like, to get back to work, I could just walk out there. I've uh, I've kept you long enough, Ricky. I think we've got about the hour or so. Uh, I appreciate you for your time. I want you to uh, tell the people where they can find you on the Twitter machine, what you're doing out there in the DFS space, and uh, anything else you want to say. Feel free. Fire away. All right. You can find me at, at rsandersdfs. You could find me at SportsGrid, writing some betting articles on SportsGrid TV during the Daily Roto Hour, which airs at, I think, 4.30 a.m., uh, at least my time. So if you're up late, you're grinding KBO, turn on the Fantasy Sports Network. You can find me at Daily Roto doing the DFS things, you know, managing projections, uh, you know, writing articles. Go ahead and hop in our Slack chat. And I think that's that's good enough pitch for me. If you if you need me, you know where to find me at our Sanders DFS. Much appreciated. Thank you for your time. Once again, that was Ricky Sanders from Daily Roto. You've listened to the morning grind. I'm Dean. We're out of here. Holler.